Fearless Flyers. Welcome back to episode seven of the Fearless Flyer podcast. Uh, in this episode, we'll be discussing weather, and we actually have three episodes dedicated to weather. The first one is going to be about turbulence and jet streams. So I would like to welcome my host, James. Hello, James. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Very good. Thank you. I'm looking forward to learning a bit more in depth about uh, yeah, turbulence and different forms of turbulence and how it'll work. Yeah, it should be interesting. I think this is something that folk get really apprehensive about, and it seems to be a, a driver of a lot of people's anxieties, uh, turbulence. So the last episode, just briefly recap on that. What was that about, James? Oh, so we had a cabin crew member come on and discuss, basically, it was a bit less technical compared to the other episodes I've done, just discuss what they do, which was really interesting because, well, as we uh, we heard, they're more than just high-class waitresses as such, and they're pretty multi-talented over a variety of different subjects, but uh, no, just sort of what's happening in the cabin and food and meal service, that sort of, well, that sort of area of aviation. Yeah, it was interesting talking to Jody. So, so let's crack on with this turbulence one. So basically, as I said before, this one's going to be about turbulence and what generates it and uh, how the aircraft, the pilots and the cabin crew handle it. The episode after this one, so episode eight, will discuss clouds and fog and how the pilots use the information about clouds to ascertain the flying conditions. And then in episode nine, we'll discuss extreme weather such as strong winds, wind shear, ice, snow, contamination, lightning, space weather, which does affect us, and volcanic ash. So coming back to turbulence. Uh, so a turbulence encounter is probably the number one catalyst at bringing out an individual's anxiety. It seems to trigger or exacerbate their particular form of anxiety. And I'm guessing because it's so alien to us as we're ground-dwelling human beings, I mean, birds don't seem to mind turbulence when you watch them flying on windy days, but we're not designed to fly. So let's discuss turbulence and we'll briefly recap aircraft design, which we talked about in episode three. Uh, we'll go into what causes turbulence and how we categorize it, what you and the cabin experience, and what the cabin crew and the pilots do for each category. So briefly, the aircraft is designed for severe turbulence, so well beyond what you could ever imagine. We talked about wing flexibility in episode three. Now, this design philosophy is also fundamental in the fuselage and the engines as well, actually the whole aircraft. Not only is the aircraft designed to fly to the limit loads that are based on millions and millions of flight hours, uh, historical weather data from probably the worst storms ever encountered, coupled with advanced technologies in design, testing and material improvements. We also then add another safety factor and called the ultimate load factor, which is a further 150% of the perceived limit load. So modern aircraft are structurally extremely well designed and extreme turbulence has been taken into account in that design. Yeah, so, well, we all really experience a sort of form, like when we're driving in a car, because we drive on a daily basis, that's our easiest way to relate to what turbulence is. And as you'll uh, all know, all the listeners, some roads aren't, aren't very smooth and you do get bumped around. Air in the atmosphere isn't smooth either. And the only difference is that we can't see the air in the atmosphere. It sort of brings, yeah, back to episode two, where Dr. Safe was talking about the fear of the unknown. Just because we can't see it, we're sort of more afraid of it. Yeah, sort of like being scared 
of the dark. You're just scared of what's out there in the dark. Yeah, that's right. As you say, not all roads we drive on are smooth and the atmosphere, it's not smooth either. And like you said, James, the difference is, is obviously we can see driving over a rough road, but we can't see what goes on in the air. So let's have a look at that. How does turbulence come about? So basically, the air above the surface of the earth moves. From a ground, it appears to move horizontally, and we see that looking at clouds as they track across the skyline. But what we don't see in there is the different horizontal speeds that are occurring. And also, there's a vertical movement within the clouds, which we term as updrafts and downdrafts. So this vertical movement of air also occurs everywhere in the atmosphere, whether there's clouds or no clouds. So in essence, the sky above us, or air I should say, above us can be moving in all directions, both horizontally and up and down. So looking at clouds, because we can see these, the heating of the Earth's surface causes air to rise, and as it does, it condensates, so it forms a cloud. And what goes up must also eventually come down, unless you work for NASA, and so air descends as well. Air can also rise when it hits an obstacle, such as a mountain range, but conversely, after crossing that mountain range, it must come down again. A frontal system, like a cold or warm front, will also cause air to rise and fall. So air is not only moving horizontally, but it's also moving vertically. And in doing so, it's not always smooth. You can imagine a river coming together where two rivers join and there's a lot of turbulence going on there where the water mixes. That's the same with what's going on in the air. So air in certain clouds, it can be moving rapidly up and down depending on the type of cloud. Now picture your aircraft in smooth air, it's cruising along and we're going in slow motion, say 80 kilometres an hour or 50 miles an hour, and it goes through a pocket of air that's rising. So this causes the aircraft to want to rise, but it must maintain its assigned altitude. So the elevators, they pitch the nose down slightly to uh, counter this rise, and in doing so, you might feel a bit light in your seat. So a parcel of air might be then going down and the opposite happens and you feel the opposite force of being pushed into your seat. These two terms of feeling this weight are known as positive and negative G. Now, if we speed that process up to the speeds that a jet's doing, say 800 kilometers an hour, 480 miles an hour, and you're going through this air quite quickly, you'll now get a rhythmic oscillation of being bumped up and down and that's what you feel in your seat and that's what we call turbulence so yeah you can see forms of turbulence in real life such as if you look at where two rivers join up as such but can we see turbulence in the air i'm guessing because if you look at as you're saying clouds that's happening in there but you can't see at the same time turbulence so what sort of what causes the turbulence the answer to whether we can see turbulence is yes and no so let's start with some of the things that cause turbulence First one, basically thermal turbulence. So a warm summer's day, you might get uh, heating of a dark patch of land, and that causes the air over the dark patch to start to rise. And if you fly into it, welcome to turbulence. This rising air can go on to produce clouds. In summer, you see them big, generally big fluffy white clouds called cumulus clouds. They're bumpy to fly through as they have lots of up and down drafts. But we can fly through them as long as you guys are in your seats and you have your seat belts on. They are generally associated with warm rising air. Cumulonimbus clouds are cumulus clouds on steroids. So basically, they've got too big to be nice and fluffy, and now they're like grumpy teenagers. We have a grumpy James. I can't remember. Anyway, no, I was, no okay, I was a very okay, happy child. yeah, <laughs> okay. 
So these cumulus and luminous clouds, they're like grumpy teenagers and they're associated with thunderstorms and they're not good. They produce a lot of strong up and down drafts with precipitation in them like rain or hail. And we have weather radars which show us where they are and we fly around them. At low level, we sometimes have to navigate through them and we give the cabin crew plenty of warning and uh, use the weather radar to make sure that the path we fly is consistent with keeping the aircraft under control. If the only option was to fly into one of these uh, CBs, is the is the term we call them, we wouldn't fly into a real bad part of it. We'd simply just either go around it or uh, take a longer route or divert to another airport and get some more fuel and wait for that uh, storm cloud to pass because that's what a cumulonimbus is. It's in essence a storm cloud. So that's those big fluffy clouds. The big storm clouds, they have an amble on top of them, which also causes a lot of turbulence. So we stay away from that. So that's our clouds. Another cause of turbulence is associated with frontal systems and can occur at high altitude without warning. And this is what we call CAT or clear air turbulence. It's really encountered, but the aircraft is quite capable of tolerating it. However, you as a passenger will get bumped around a lot if you're not secure. Hence the reason we always ask you to keep your seat routes loosely fastened in the unlikely event that we do encounter this rare phenomena. We do get charts of where this clear air turbulence is, and we generally avoid flying across them because you're likely to get a lot of turbulence. You may have heard of the term jet streams. Uh, These are fast-moving air currents, and they're associated with frontal systems and low-pressure systems. They also provide us with CAT, clear air turbulence. If we do have to fly through them, we approach them with caution. Uh, Conversely, we also use jet streams if they're going in the same direction as we're flying because they're, they're very smooth when you're flying with them, and the tailwinds we can achieve can be quite significant, saving lots of flying time and and thus requiring less fuel for that particular flight. So what else have we got? We've got uh, wake turbulence off another aircraft, simply called wake turbulence. And we spoke about in episode four, we discussed wingtip vortices. And this is the same as what wake turbulence is. So the wingtip vortices create wake, what we call wake off another airplane, we get wake turbulence. So we and air traffic control use rules on keeping distance from the aircraft in front, and we can see what the wind's doing, so we know where the wake turbulence is coming from, so we can pretty much avoid it. And we can see that our displays, we've got instrumentation telling us where the other aeroplane is relative to us. So you're more likely to experience uh, wake turbulence at takeoff um, and landing on days with little or no wind. And the aircraft just bumps and rolls a bit, but on commercial aircraft, it's not a problem. It's only of a temporary nature. Then we've got turbulence associated with mountain ranges, and these are called mountain waves. A good example is, say, wind hitting a mountain range such as the Andes at 90 degrees, and the Andes are very high, so wind coming off the Pacific Ocean will rise. When it hits the Andes, it will uh, fluctuate up and down behind the mountain range, downwind, maybe four, 500 miles downwind, and you can get a lot of turbulence if you're flying on the leeward side, say, over in Argentina. If you're doing a flight from, say, Argentina to Chile and there's a strong westerly from the Pacific, you'll likely get a lot of turbulence, and I'll talk about that later on. And it doesn't have to be a high mountain range. 
I was based in Wellington, New Zealand for a few years, and you'd have very windy days there. And on approach to the northerly runway, you always got a lot of turbulence in a strong northerly. And you got to a point, plane would be jumping around a heck of a lot. And most Wellingtonians um, just didn't bother them. I think if there was no jumping around on a northerly and the plane wasn't being buffered around, they'd probably wonder whether they were landing back home. But you do get a lot of uh, wind there and a lot of turbulence off the hills there, which leads me on to mechanical turbulence which can be generated by buildings near runways. So wind blowing over a building causes it to become disturbed as you get downwind. And if you are near the runway for landing and winds blowing over buildings, you might get some turbulence generated by the building. This is like an obstacle-induced turbulence. It's unavoidable. Most runways are designed orientated into wind, so it's not really that big an issue. So those are the main drivers of turbulence. Mostly they're unavoidable and hence aircraft are designed to fly through this type of turbulence. So for a passenger, like you're flying along and there's, of course, there's like, you get, always get the odd bump, like no matter like where you're flying, you get the odd bump. But how do you as pilots decide, like categorize it from like a little bit so you know, like oh, it will go soon. There's no point of, say, putting on the seatbelt sign to when they do the announcement saying the cabin crew must take their seats because of, there's bad weather ahead. Like, how can you tell that as from a pilot's perspective? That's a good question. As pilots, we categorize the levels in turbulence across the globe pretty much so that when we talk to our cabin crew, the engineers, air traffic control or our company, we're all on the same wavelength with regard to the level of turbulence that we've encountered or may be encountered. So these categories are light, moderate and severe. Please bear in mind to an inexperienced passenger or an anxious passenger, the perception of light turbulence in their mind might be like severe. So to help you understand how we categorize turbulence and to put things in perspective, let's have a more in-depth look at these three levels of turbulence that we use, light, moderate, and severe. We'll look at each one in isolation, what the sensations for you as the passenger are, what the cabin crew will do, and what we do as pilots. So light turbulence, or what I like to think of, it's like driving over cobblestones, has a feeling of momentarily slight rapid rhythmic movements without any change in the aircraft altitude or attitude. Attitude's basically that of the aircraft. It's just pointing at the horizon. So level flight, wings are level, and the nose is pointing at the horizon. So that's what I refer to in attitude. So as a passenger, you may feel a slight strain against your seatbelt. Any loose object, say a book on your tray table, it won't move. Drinks will shake slightly, but as long as they're not completely full, they won't spill out of your cups. You will likely find difficulty in walking because you're not used to it. Pilots will likely switch the seatbelt sign on. And as a precaution, cabin crew will request you don't use the toilet and everyone should return to their seat. Unfortunately, those babies in the bassinets that are sleeping, they'll need to be woken up and returned to their parents. So prepare for some unhappy babies. You will likely still see the cabin crew walking around as their experience walking around turbulence. You, on the other hand, would be wobbling all over the place and there's a chance you may injure yourself or a fellow passenger. So that's why we've asked you to be seated. And depending on the type of light turbulence and how long it goes for, we make the core with the cabin crew because sometimes they still continue with their service. Like if they're doing a meal service, we might ascertain from what's generating the turbulence or the time period, it's not going to get any worse. So we might just let them continue. However, as a safety precaution, we will probably not allow hot drinks to be given to you just in case they spill, burn you or scold you. 
So on the flight deck, nothing really changes. There's uh, literally no change in airspeed or altitude, and the attitude of the aircraft does not move. Our decision-making whether to allow the crew to continue with, say, a service or to sit down is based on information we have, such as weather forecasts, a thing called PIREPs, which are pilot reports, reports from other aircraft, air traffic control reports, and the perceived length of the turbulence. Sometimes just a simple change in altitude can uh, put us back into smooth air. So that's light turbulence. The next one, moderate turbulence. Now, this is classed as uh, rapid bumps or jolts, and we get moderate changes in aircraft altitude or attitude, but the aircraft remains easily controllable at all times. It'd be like driving off-road, and from my experience in uh, moderate turbulence, we're probably getting changes around plus or minus 20 feet on the uh, altitude. That's plus or minus six metres. But this is happening very quickly. It's like over the space of a few seconds. And it can seem to you like the aircraft's dropping hundreds of feet, but it's not. The airspeed may fluctuate plus or minus five knots or around 10 kilometers an hour. So it's not really doing much. But as I say, for you sitting in your seat, you'll actually think it's a lot worse. What you're going to feel sitting in your seat, you'll definitely feel the strain against your seatbelt. Any loose objects may fall. Uh, Liquids, they will splash out of your cup. So drink up. And the cabin crew will have difficulty moving those carts, so they will secure them quickly. You will have difficulty standing in the cabin, let alone walking. So that's why we've got you to sit down. Generally, moderate turbulence we're aware of well in advance. So we liaise with the cabin crew. They will stop all cabin services. They'll secure the cabin by checking your seatbelts. Babies are out of bed and any loose objects are stowed. They'll make a PA. A public address, normally to return to your seats. In the unlikely event that it's sudden, we'll do a PA to all of you and say something like, cabin crew, take your seats. So on the front of the aircraft, if we have time, we'll try to make a PA to you. But our priority is flying the aircraft and gathering information as quickly as possible to try and reduce the time or severity of the turbulence. We will have slowed down to our turbulence penetration speed, and this is a speed where we can use the controls more effectively to keep the aircraft within its design limits for turbulent flight. As in light turbulence, we'll be gathering information, but we'll also advise air traffic control and our operations department that we're in moderate turbulence. Now, this is to help other aircraft as well. So ATEC may advise of a new level or a route with less turbulence or they may even give an indication of the duration of the turbulence based on other aircraft reports. So that's moderate. Now, the good one, severe turbulence. It's something we like to avoid because it simply just creates paperwork. So it uh, causes abrupt changes in the aircraft attitude and altitude. There's even short periods of time when the aircraft is out of control. And as a passenger, you're in for a bonus ride. It's like being in a roller coaster theme park with no extra cost on your ticket. The sensations you may feel are probably being violently forced against your seatbelt. Loose objects might be flying around the cabin. Carts will be difficult to move and they may even lift off the floor and it's impossible to stand, let alone walk. The cabin crew will likely have already been briefed and all that was done by them for moderate turbulence will have been done for, for severe turbulence already. If it is sudden, a cabin crew member who's out with a cart on the very remote chance that it happens and we hit severe turbulence, they'll tilt the cart to wedge it in between some seats and they'll grab an empty seat and buckle in. Or if none are available, they'll secure themselves by sitting on the floor next to a seat. On the flight deck, we will already beard our turbulence penetration speed. If the autopilot's not capable of handling the turbulence, we'll disconnect it and we'll just set the nose on the horizon and let the aircraft go with the flow. 
We'll monitor the speed for trends if necessary. If it drops off really quickly, we'll add thrust. And if it speeds up too much, we'll pull the speed brake out to slow it down. We want to keep it around our target turbulence speed, which is what we're aiming for there. So our priority is maintaining the aircraft in a safe attitude. As soon as we can, we'll advise air traffic control, who may help with advice from other aircraft and reports of uh, maybe smoother air nearby. Once clear of moderate or severe turbulence, we get the cabin crew to report how you're all doing, and we advise air traffic control and our operations department. So the chances of you ever encountering severe turbulence is extremely rare. I'd be guessing you have more chance of winning a lottery two or three times in a row. Um, should you be the winner of that lottery, uh, provided you're in your seat and your seat belt is fastened, you have nothing to worry about except for maybe the odd plastic cup flying about the cabin. The aircraft structure and the pilots are quite capable of dealing with it. The contents of the cabin would be my only concern and using our information in advance as pilots, generally the cabin would have been prepared for moderate turbulence anyway. How does that sound, James? Does that scare you or does that like sound, hey, it's not that bad? It just makes me seem like I've, I've missed out it. I really, really want to find some severe turbulence and, uh, you know, get the part do a little deviation towards it. So how often would you say these three types of turbulence, like you fly, and I say you fly a hundred times, so what's the chances of? Yeah, that's a good question. And I had thought about this before the podcast. So I'll put this all in context for you based on my flying career. So I've been flying for over 35 years. I've been full-time for 25. So I've got over 18,000 hours flying experience. So if you were to, after this podcast, get in an airplane with my flying experience for 18,000 hours, you wouldn't land back on the planet for another two years. So that's a long time in the air. My current airline, I regularly fly across or over to every continent on the planet with the exception of Antarctica and in weather conditions ranging from severe rain and the likes of uh, monsoons in Asia around tropical storms in the Pacific. I use jet streams to cross the North Atlantic and uh, deal with many large thunderstorms around the equator, huge thunderstorms. So on nearly every flight, I will encounter some form of light turbulence that will require me to put the seatbelt sign on temporarily. However, the crew most of the time will continue with their duties. Around once every 20 flights, the light turbulence is a little bit stronger, so it might mean I stop the cabin crew doing the service. Regarding moderate turbulence, I estimate that has occurred over my career probably about once every 200 flights. Now for severe turbulence. I have never, ever encountered severe turbulence in my whole flying career. You might say, is it luck? No, it's not. The weather forecasting system is so much better nowadays. Our flight planners use this up-to-date data to not only planners around bad weather, but they also send us updates when flying. Air traffic control keeps us informed through these PIREPs or pilot reports from other aircraft. And the weather radars we have nowadays are so much more advanced. We can also see other aircraft on our displays so we can avoid their wake turbulence. The worst turbulence I've ever had was descending into Santiago from Rio de Janeiro as there was an exceptionally strong wind coming off the Pacific Ocean. It was hitting the Andes. We knew about this in advance and about an hour before landing, I had the cabin crew secure the cabin. I was anticipating the upper end of moderate turbulence. Did a PA to the passengers and all the cabin crew and passengers were secured and away we went. We had lots of bumps. We definitely had moderate turbulence, but not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And most of the passengers on this route are aware of this and no one on board seemed phased by the turbulence at all. 
Unfortunately, when it is a turbulence incident, it is sensationalized a bit, but you'll find it's very rare that any passengers are injured and the plane is perfectly okay. And large jets, you never hear of large jets falling out of the sky. Or when I say large jets, any passenger airplane falling out of the sky because of turbulence. So yeah. So let's uh, summarize uh, this episode. The aircraft is extremely strong and it's well designed and not even the most severe turbulence will damage it. We use a lot of information from many sources to avoid the worst of the turbulence. Uh, We'll probably not communicate with you whilst in turbulence as our priority is finding a path to reduce the intensity or the time in it. Your best line of defense on any flight is simply to have your seatbelt on at all times, just loosely fastened is fine. But if we encounter some turbulence, just tighten it up a bit. If you hear a PA saying cabin crew, take your seats, then make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Finish that drink and then try to enjoy the ride. The aircraft, the pilots and the cabin crew uh, will get you through it. It's all just in a day's work for us. James, what do you think of that episode? Have you got anything you want to add there? Not really, to be honest. I mean, you summed up yeah, turbulence uh, well. I hope that as a listener, because obviously, as we've discussed in most of these episodes, it's the fear of the unknown. Hopefully, now with a bit of knowledge, as you just discussed, Grant, that knowledge will help you to empower you as such for the next time you're flying. Uh, think to yourself, categorize the turbulence if you go through any, and there's no real chance of anything happening. It's just a bit of a, a few bumps, and you take it as it comes, and it'll be over in a few minutes. Yeah, so hopefully that will give you a bit more of an understanding, especially the categories, because as I said right at the start, people that are anxious and nervous flyers, they would probably perceive the turbulence as a lot worse, but that categorization might put it into context. Um, That's good. So episode eight, next one, we're going to talk more in depth about cloud and fog because we use that cloud, as I said in this episode, we use it to gather a lot of information. And the episode after uh, cloud and fog will uh, discuss the extreme weather, such as uh, strong winds and wind shear and ice, snow, et cetera. So that, that should be good. So from me, it's goodbye. And yeah, from me, have a good one, guys. I hope you enjoyed that and it was informative. Don't hesitate to contact us through any of our social media platforms, website or email with any questions you may have or concerns or queries or anything to do with that. And yeah, Karen, sending feedback in, telling us how we're doing, anything you want to hear specifically, and we'll be sure to include that. Uh, have a good day, guys, and goodbye. <laughs>